Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome back to Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Terry Cronin. I'm here with Dr. Vineet Mishra, and he's the Adjunct Associate Professor of Dermatology at UC San Diego. He also has a position at the Scripps Clinic in San Diego, and he's going to be talking to us about the academic practice of dermatology. This is part of our career launch program at Dialogues in Dermatology to help our new graduates understand the practice of dermatology and the different ways it goes about. Welcome, Dr. Mishra. Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry, for this great opportunity, and thank you for letting me help to share my thoughts on academics. Well, we're really honored to have you, and you've had a really august career already, and as a young physician, we're in awe of what you've been able to accomplish. And what we're asking you is to really kind of tell us, what are the pros and cons of going into academic practice? Sure, of course. Well, first thing I want to say is that not all academic practices are the same. They're not a cookie-cutter institution that goes from state to state. There's a lot of variability, and I want to kind of lay out what are kind of the big pros and cons. So some of the pros that I really enjoy is that I love to teach. I love to do research. I love to be involved in different society work. I think that being part of an academic center allows you to have that opportunity. For example, here at Scripps Clinic, I teach the fellows. I also teach residents at UCSD. I also teach at the Naval Medical Center with the Naval residents as well. Prior to my time here at Scripps and at UCSD, I was on faculty at UT Health San Antonio. And that's actually my first job. I finished my fellowship out in Scripps Clinic in 2013. I joined faculty at UT. And there I was in charge of their Mohs surgery unit. So I was the chief of Mohs and had a chance to teach the medical students and the residents and the Army and the Air Force residents in San Antonio as well. So the pros are that you can have a lot of interaction. You're working with people who are pretty like-minded, love to be involved, love to teach. There's an opportunity for you to kind of create your own niche if there's something that you want to expand or something that you want to delve into. For me, I do a lot of work in public policy. So for me, I think it's great to have the backing of institution when you go to D.C. and you speak on skin cancer epidemics or why physicians need to be reimbursed fairly and so forth. And also, I think that there's a lot of camaraderie, too, that you find in these academic centers. Now, some of the negative sides could be that there's less autonomy. So, for example, everyone has to follow a set of guidelines. For example, you can't start clinic at 10 a.m. You got to start the clinic at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. In terms of hiring or firing of staff, that's done through the institution. You're not in charge of that process. So you have HR that runs that side for you. To bring new devices or to bring new services into the practice requires buy-in from other individuals, the dean or the chairman. So there's, I think, more steps that one has to go through to bring on new services and to implement new ideas. But the flip side is that you have the backing of the entire institution if you want to make it happen. Vineet, I always love to hear stories about how people get into dermatology or how they decided they wanted to be a dermatologist. But kind of dovetailing with that is, what made you decide to go into academics when you were a resident? Was there a mentor or a role model or what really kind of pushed you in that direction? Sure. You know, truth be told, <laughs> it was maybe more the absence that I didn't really know exactly where I wanted to live in the U.S. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, small town, and always lived in the South. Did my training at Emory and UAB, went to med school at Vanderbilt. And I kind of felt that I was wanting to really just take advantage of whatever is out there. And some of the private practice folks who approached me, 
I kind of felt I didn't, I was missing that side of the education and the research component to it and the mentorship. And I felt that at some point I could always go into private practice, but I wanted to start off with the idea of going to academics. And so what I did is that I pretty much just talked to people and friends and said, hey, how should I go about this? So I actually looked into both private practice and academics. It just happened to be that one day I got a phone call from UT and they said, hey, we're looking for someone. Would you want to come out and interview? And truth be told, I'd never really been to Texas. And I said, sure, it sounds like um, a good idea. So went out to San Antonio and it was interesting because I had never been to UT before and had a chance to meet the chairman, the deans, and I thought, you know what, this makes sense. And sometimes you don't really know what you're doing until you actually do it, but you may get a gut feeling. And I felt like this is a good place for me to start off and let's take a chance. I mean, there's never a guarantee in life. Uh, and I think that if you're flexible in your mindset and you're willing to work with people and willing to kind of play ball, things can happen, both in private practice or in academia. But for me, it was more this idea that I wanted to be involved in teaching, I want to do research, and I wanted to kind of have that departmental backing as well. So you really kind of touched on some of the good, the bad, and even some of the ugly. When you're talking about staff and hiring and firing of staff, you could be saddled with somebody that you don't work with well in academia. Is there a method that you go about getting rid of a staff member if you find that they are not doing a good job? Uh, truth be told, I'm actually kind of a softy. I like to find out exactly what's the true reason, because sometimes people may not be able to express themselves well. So for example, if you have a staff member who is uncomfortable doing wound care, is it because they don't know how to do the wound care protocol? Or is it because no one has actually spent time with them to educate them? Or maybe there's something going on in their life that is affecting their work. So what I try to do is I first try to listen. And then I try to meet with the clinic managers and come up with a game plan of how we can remediate that employee. What are steps that benchmarks that we can have? And then from there, I let the clinic manager kind of run the show because as a physician, we have so much to do that it's all about teamwork. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that I also stay within my so-called scope of practice and not get involved in things that could be dicey. So what I try to do is I try to have good documentation, number one, and say, hey, you know, my employee came to work late or my employee didn't do all the callbacks. Now, did she have time to do the callbacks? Did she have the right tools, the training? And then from there, I let the client manager kind of run their show. And it's all like a little dance where you want to be coordinated with other team players. Because the thing is that when you're working for a big academic center, there's protocols that are very well laid out. And you want to know them before you walk into any situation. And so, for example, if I have to meet with an employee, I always have the client manager next to me so that we're both in agreement that this is what we're trying to achieve over here. So I think it's all about being honest with employee, giving good feedback, being able to set benchmarks and expectations. And then after that, you document and you see how things go. So understanding the rules of the game is a big part of it, obviously. I'd love to ask you if you have any pearls for residents or recent grads when they're looking at academic centers. There's anything that you can look back with hindsight that you would have liked to have known that maybe you could tell them now? Sure, of course. Well. Number one is that if you're a recent grad and this is your first job, don't be high maintenance. For example, don't go out there and say, I want 12 weeks of vacation if everyone else only gets seven weeks. So understand kind of what is the, the expectation of that position, number one. Number two, also 
there's things that you can ask for that may be not fully discussed. Like for example, when I signed my contract with UT, they had a non-compete clause that was 30 miles. And I thought to myself, wow, that's like, if I have to practice, I would have to go to Austin, Texas from San Antonio. There's no way I can practice in the city of San Antonio. And what I realized was that, and this is what my mentor, Dr. Greenway had told me, if you make a comment and say, well, I want a 10 mile non-compete or five mile, and they're looking at 10 other applicants, then they may think that, oh, he is a flight risk or he may not be willing to play ball with us. So be careful what you ask for. Be sure you have a good idea of the culture of the department, because at the end of the day, you have to work with your colleagues. So for example, the residents ask the other faculty members, hey, how do you like it? And ask people who've left and be like, why did you leave? Sometimes people leave because of personal reasons or they may leave because they're unhappy with the institution. And I think finally, you want to always have an open mind. There's some academic centers that, for example, give you a flat rate salary, base pay, and that's it. I was on what's called an XYZ plan, where you get paid a base, and there's a Y component and a Z. And Z is if you're more productive, then they compensate you. So you want to find out how you get paid and make sure that you understand that in your own context. Because like, for example, I do Mohs. Mohs is very different from, let's say, medical dermatology or cosmetics. So you want to understand how do you get reimbursed? Is it based upon RBUs? Is it based upon collections? You can find out what's your payer mix. And then I would say that it's not always about the money either. Because for example, one thing that I said to UT is that I want freedom. I want freedom to, for example, set my office hours and my academic time. And I said, in return, I'll show you guys some money. Just let me do what I can do best. And let me run the team the way I want to. And they're like, oh, that sounds great because we don't know how to run those. <laughs> so it was actually a win-win. So I think it's all about having a good communication and understanding the environment you're walking into. If you're walking into a smaller academic center, you may have a lot more leeway than if you walk into a big place where you're like the 10th most surgeon or 50th dermatologist. So just be careful. And sometimes you may want to work your way up. Like, for example... You don't get everything you want on day one, but you can say, well, hey, maybe the first year you can buy me a laser, I'll build a Mohs lab. The second year, we'll add in veins. The third year, we'll expand into cosmetics. You show them a business plan. Show them a model. The more you educate them, the more they're going to help to make sure that you succeed because they win as well. That's great advice. I Thank you so much. One of the things I love to ask when we have a discussion like this is, is there a best decision that you made in your career so far? And is there a worst decision that you've made in your career that you can share with us? Sure. My best decision is don't sweat the details. Things are going to happen that are not in your control. It may happen with patients. You may do the best flap graft and be like, oh my God, this thing got necrotic. Or you may perceive that your staff may not be that great and something didn't go right. Don't sweat the details work with people. And at the end of the day, it's like that saying, it's not what you say, but how you make people feel. So you always want to keep that in the back of your mind. Number one, one of the regrets I have is that I think sometimes we're in a rush. We want to go zero to 60 in like less than a second. And my advice to young physicians is that take your time, let things build and grow the way it should. The reason being is that you can always ramp up, but you can't ramp down. And if you ramp up too fast, you may find that you are shortchanging yourself 
you know, ask yourself what are things that you like to do. Maybe go to the gym, spend time with family, friends, travel, and be involved. And if you want to be involved, the AD has a great list of programs. And I was part of the ADLP and the leadership forum and things like that network. But don't be in a rush because you have time to build. And it's all about consistency. It's not about someone who does a great job one day and then is gone for like three days and like, hey, where's that person? So always be consistent as well. Vineet, I couldn't end on a better recommendation than that. Thank you so much for your passion for our specialty. And thank you for sharing all this information with us. I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. Awesome. Thanks, Terry. And I do want to say thank you to Dwani as well, who helped to set this up and very excited that you're doing this. So thank you. I appreciate right. it. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcast. We hope you enjoyed these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increased content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.